2: Talk is about
0: to begin. Hey, 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 come on in.
1: Welcome back to Wednesday Buckeye Talk, Dougley Breeze, Nathan Barrett. Stephen Means getting us to you a little later in the day. Man, we just need to decompress a little bit. A lot going on. Nathan's flying places, and we did a bunch of pods after the Rose Bowl. You know, we're gonna do our normal stuff, but we took a couple of days off. Uh, to reset slightly, some things happened. While we were taking our little, it's like, we didn't do a pod for two days. And I'm like, oh my God, we've abandoned our audience. This is what just most pods would call just doing a pod that you take two days off and it's normal. Uh, Master Teague is going to the NFL. James Laurinaitis is going to Notre Dame. Um, And then we're going to talk a little bit about Ryan Day and his contract and what's going on with Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. Let's start with little bits of news. Nathan, Master Teague. I don't know that any of us are surprised or anybody listening to us is surprised that he won't be on Ohio State's roster last year. I thought maybe he'd take a shot in the portal, try to go be you know, somebody's starter. Uh, clearly, he's good enough to be a starting running back for a college football team. Instead, going to the NFL, what do you make of it?
2: Well, yeah, as I wrote and I think as I texted at the time, it's a guy that I know has at least one degree that he's finished and, and maybe more. He was in, even though this was his fourth year, he was already in grad school this past year, my understanding, and he's put in four years of this program, and he's been, I think, maybe as productive. I mean, yes, he could go somewhere and be a lead back. But if you have pro aspirations, what are you necessarily going to show in that year as a lead back? I think the most important thing, though, is he only played seven games this year. I think it was a guy that just throughout his career has been just things keep popping up. And to his credit, I think he plays played through a lot of them or come back quickly from a lot of them, like the Achilles tear. But at, at this stage, it probably makes more sense not to risk another year of injury and maybe just take your shot now. it so I it, I understand we definitely got some snide comments from people on Twitter as I tweeted that story out. And they're like, oh, I declare too." like uh, let's give let's give Master T a little bit more respect than that. And let's also remember that the injury issue, I think, is probably a factor here. That a guy who has had to kind of grind back just to get on the field at times this past year, I don't know if you want to necessarily go somewhere and expose yourself more. I'd rather just be as healthy as possible and and go to the NFL.
0: This feels very like when Mike Weber did it after the 2018 season, where a combination of what Nathan's talking about, but then also how much more is Master Teague's, draft stock actually going to rise. So if this is, if no matter what, between whether you're a seventh round pick now or you're a seventh round pick 12 months from now, you're still a seventh round pick. So you might as well just go start getting paid to play football.
1: No, I didn't think he'd go somewhere to improve his draft status. I just thought maybe Mm. it might be fun to go get a bunch of carries because who knows how much football he has left in his life. But clearly, yes, the the injury and just because you declare for the draft doesn't mean you're going to get drafted doesn't even mean you'll get invited to the combine i mean i don't i I don't know he'll be in a camp with somebody he'll be in an nfl camp but then after that I, i will say that one of the things is nathan it does feel like to me this is a guy who i we we talked a lot about master teague in his time here because of the status of the running back room and that he did sort of hit in this window that we talked about a lot of hey you know Brian Sneed was in his class and then left Ohio State pretty quickly with left Master Teague sort of as the guy. Then they had some recruiting misses right after him, which put more pressure, sort of not pressure on him, but like put more spotlight on him. And it wound up that a guy who was a recruit in whatever he was in the 300s wound up as like, is this guy going to get the ball 18 times a game for a team trying to win a national championship, which was always in the end more about, what Ohio state did not recruit around him than what anyone really thought he was going to do here at Ohio state. But man, we, we analyzed the heck out of this dude for four seasons.
2: Well, again, I know that there were some opportunities in his career for him to step up in a big game that didn't happen, but I know also when Ohio state needed somebody to be sort of that productive second punch to J.K. Dobbins in 2019, he more or less got that job done. I know he didn't perform in the Clemson game, but throughout that season, he got that job done to the point where he was like third-team all Big Ten because of it. 2020, he comes back, and before Trey Sermon unlocks the cheat code and just goes insane – He was a pretty ineffective back for much of that season. And Master Teague was the one who was, you know, the guy they were giving the ball to grind away that Penn State win in the second half. The guy who had like 160 yards and two touchdowns or something like that in an Indiana game that people look back on and say like, whoa, if that game had gone a little bit more sideways, who knows what happened? So like the guy had productive times during his time at Ohio state was a high character guy and a a good work ethic guy. And I just have always thought he's someone who maybe got more criticism than he deserved. Cause he was never going to be, he was never the high ceiling guy. I thought he got uh, maybe the most out of his time here, but you're right. The the reason he came up so much in conversation and the reason why someone like, let's say Marcus Crowley doesn't come as much in conversation. Well, partially because Crowley, unfortunately also keeps getting hurt, but also like the need for Marcus Crowley to be a productive back at Ohio state hasn't been as urgent. But for Master Teague, he had to do it. Like they they needed him to be more than he was probably recruited to be in some ways because, like you say, of the other misses.
1: I do think though there were times when we would do our driving the bus for guys podcasts. There were times when people were like driving the bus for Master Teague. Mm-hmm. And I think there were some of us, I would include me in this camp of like, are you really driving the bus for him? Or is it like maybe there's just no other buses come by? Right. So you got to get on the one that's there, but I don't know if I want to drive it. Did I do? There were times when it was like recruiting rankings aren't everything, but let's not get overexcited about a guy just because he has an Ohio State uniform on. Like there's a difference between Master Teague and Trayvon Henderson. There's a difference between Master Teague and J.K. Dobbins. And I felt like, Stephen, at times there were some people who, really thought or wanted master teague to be at a jk dobbins or trevion henderson level while there were some other people who were like i just don't ever think that's
0: what he's going to be yeah i think even with the 2019 13 all big 10 status it's great within context of the idea of a lot of that was coming in the second half against either worn down defenses or second stringers because they were blowing everybody out and it was quite yes he was a quality set you know second hand back he's quality spellback which is what he's always been his entire career here but when you're putting up numbers like that it can it's a little bit of fool's gold sometimes and maybe you can start to believe that he's something that he's not when you have to always put him in we either always expected too much for uh, of him or you know didn't necessarily he was either overrated or underrated his entire career nobody he was very, very rarely ever looked at for exactly what he was that's a quality spellback
1: And it is one of those things that you wind up if you wind up being critical of a guy's play in a situation. I think Master Teague is an ideal example of like, well, it's not his fault. They didn't. He's he is who he is and he's Mm -hmm. doing his best and he's being asked to do more than he should be asked to do because of the failures by the adults who didn't get other guys here to be in front of him. So he was like, okay, I'll do it. And then the result is like, well, why aren't you better? And it's like, well, I don't know. This is who I am, man. I don't know what to tell you. So I, I think it was um, – I think he's a guy that, like, we will reference in the future, right, that, that whenever you have a guy who's a solid football player who's put in a position where he's asked to do too much because of recruiting misses, that's the master team. And then it's up to uh, – you know, it's like, so, and how do we – Talk about that, evaluate that, be fair to the guy, but also sort of acknowledge the Ohio State standard. And I, I think I think he he uh, elicited a lot of interesting and divergent at times opinions.
0: I, I, I will say, was, though, he is one of the in this 2018 class. that's like all over the place. I do think you can count him as a win because. He lived up to what his ranking was. He was 228 overall and the number 11 running back. That, and for what his career ended up being, he lived up to a guy who was ranked in that spot. So that class is wild. Chalk up Master Teague as a win for what he was supposed to be. I think that's very fair. I think that's a, a very good way to look at it. Let's talk a little bit about
1: James Laurinaitis. This is a little bit of a blind spot for me. James Laurinaitis, Big Ten Network announcer, uh, has decided that he's going to go be on Marcus Freeman's staff at Notre Dame that came out a couple days ago. I think he's not going to be a coach. He's going to be like an analyst kind of thing. As I've said before, he's part of this group of guys. It's sort of like the first guys I covered at Ohio State where I was sort of here for their whole career. James Laurinaitis, Malcolm Jenkins, Marcus Freeman, Brian Orbiski, Alex Boone are sort of the guys that come, Troy Smith to a decent degree, guys that come, Antonio Pittman, guys that come to mind for that. To me, Stephen, that group to me is a little bit like the basketball guys who come back and play in the tournament, the Carmen's crew guys, that sort of that age of football player, they're a little older than the Jared Sullinger, Evan Turner, David Lighty, Aaron Kraft, Dallas Lauderdale, William Buford, John Diebler, basketball guys. But I think there are a lot of similarities there. Now, listen, James Lorditis, very, very successful NFL career. I would throw Brian Hartline in that group of players. Very successful NFL career. But, you know, some of those other guys, it's like, you know, Brian Robisky and Alex Boone was in the league for a while. Like Marcus never, you know, Marcus had a heart issue and had to retire. And Troy Smith never really had a huge NFL career. But they were super high level winning players at Ohio State in a particular era where they all kind of stuck around for a long time. I feel like people really got to know them. They sort of. Even though Trestle won his national title in 02, some of those guys, you know, weren't recruited by Jim Trestle. This was like the heart of the Trestle era. Mm-hmm. I would say that sort of like in between, like Maurice Claret, who's kind of a one-year wonder that that is here and is gone, and then Terrell Pryor, who sort of is this thing at the end of the Trestle era. The heart of the Trestle era, if you're a Trestle era Ohio State football fan, is these group of guys. And so And that's right when I started covering him. So I have a particular view of James Laurinaitis. So even though James Laurinaitis is not on, like, is is not an Ohio State employee, is not, you know, he's just an announcer who lives in Columbus. I what to hear that, like, he's going to Notre Dame, to me, felt like a big deal of like, man, that's like another, that's like a tried and true Ohio State guy who's going to Notre Dame with Marcus, one of his best friends. But it also just might be a guy taking a job that really has no effect on Ohio State. Is this more like Dougie's view of the world that I'm like, oh, my God, Lauren is leaving and everybody's like, well, we like him, but it's OK.
0: No, I think there are a lot of people who are on your side of things because they hear. First of all, they hear a three time Ohio State linebacker who is a three time All-American is going to join Notre Dame staff. And it was like, what is going on? Our linebackers suck. Wouldn't it be awesome if the three-time All-American was coaching our linebackers? Which is, first and foremost, the saying is, those who can't do, teach. I don't know how often guys who are superstars at things in sports end up being also very elite coaches. That's Which is weird. You would think they'd be able to do both, but they don't. That's just fine. But no, it's just simply, it's his former teammate has a spot on his coaching staff as whether it's an analyst or he's, he's a quality control guard, a GA, whatever he's doing, he's just you know, going to start his coaching career. It's very similar to what the 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 only shock here is that Brian Hartline did exactly what James Laurinaitis did. If you take out like the media portion, if you just go straight into this situation, in 2017 he was a quality control guy at Ohio State, and he just worked his way up, worked his way up until eventually because some you know off-field issues he ends up being Ohio State's wide receiver coach and then he does a good enough job to keep it now he is where he is so you would think that if you're another former player who's kind of under that same pipeline you would just come do the same thing Brian Hartline did but he didn't want to do that he just decided it's an opening at Notre Dame and so he's going to go play with his, he's going to go coach with his former teammate it's nothing more than that there's no there's no impact on Ohio State's coaching staff or how they want to do things he's not going to be you know Notre Dame's not going to start getting five-star linebackers just because James Laurinaitis is a whatever on their staff. He's just on their staff starting his coaching career.
1: I'm not I don't know anything for I, I think if Ohio State had been into it, he would have done the same thing at Ohio State that he's yeah. going to do at Notre Dame and that never happened. And it, it is, I think, slightly amplified by the fact that he plays the position, Nathan, where Ohio State seemingly has some issues right now. And people love alumni. You can't make up your staff of 10 former players. That's not how it works. That is not your best staff. But also what Steven brought up, is like Brian Hartline did it. And boy, that seems to really be working. And it's like, well, what if you could get the defensive version of Brian Hartline? Right. That I think I mean, just because he played in the same era as Heartline and he played in the NFL like Heartline and he's an Ohio guy like Heartline and he's interested in coaching like Heartline was. And he might be a kind of guy who you could envision connecting with players and that he's probably a good technical coach of the position. It's like, why should you hire him? Actually, you should hire him. I just made the case for why they should have hired James Laurinaitis. I don't even know what I'm doing. It's like, he's the Brian Hartline of defense. But again, he wouldn't jump right in to being the linebackers coach, but they could have had him in the building if they wanted to. And then he could have been doing this. And then maybe now if it's like, okay, maybe James Laurenitis, if he had done this for a year or two already, would be a kid. Or if he started this right now, then maybe he'd be a candidate in a couple of years. It's fine. But Nathan, like you're the much less connected to this, Nathan, just because he's, a guy just from Ohio state's past. I don't know. Do you think like, Oh, uh, will Ohio state re- regret this. I mean, he might wind up being Ohio state's linebackers coach in two years anyway, because he might right. go do this with Mark and then mm-hmm. Marcus and then come back and be a full-time coach. Who knows?
2: Yeah. Let him, you know, why not let him do his internship on someone else's dime or whatever. And you can still hire him if you want to down the line. I, some of the responses that we've gotten from texters and fans and, and this was happening even a few weeks ago before this Lauren, I thing came up. I th- think there's this thought, by some that you can just like take a player who was great at that position and put him in the middle of a group of players currently playing that position and just like by osmosis they'll be better they'll just like get some of his aura or essence just by being around him and that's just not how it works like you need to kind of demonstrate some actual coaching acumen and we haven't we don't know that James Hornitis would be a good football coach but I understand people who think like hey why wouldn't you give him a shot and because again the this job coaching profession it's all about connections and yes he has an Ohio State connection but he also has a very strong Marcus Freeman connection and that's why this opportunity is happening
0: and maybe when you say that's why this opportunity is happening maybe that's exactly why Marcus Freeman they played together they were really good together maybe Marcus came to him and was like hey man you want to try coaching and James went yeah Let's see how I can do that. Well, if I can no, do that or not. I mean, James definitely had an interest.
1: Uh, I think
0: James, yeah. while he was okay. doing
1: announcing, had coaching at least in the back of his mind, but I don't think was ever going to go be an analyst at East Carolina to get like, was, you know, but would have been willing, I think, to come in sort of, you know, uh, he would have been happy to take the heartline route, which is come in in a non coaching position and sort of see what's up. Right. I mean, I think that that yeah. was there if Ohio State. If, if they if they could have worked that out, I think that could have worked out, and now it's working out instead. So it's like, where would he have done it? He had, I think, he had a great job that he enjoyed. He likes living in Columbus, but it's like, well, I do it at my alma mater, or I do it with one of my best friends. So there's probably the two choices. It didn't happen at one, so now it's happening at the other.
2: Well, like I've talked to athletes before who are like beloved at their school, and people always assume like, oh, you know, you'd be a great coach. Like you have that demeanor, you have that that personality like why couldn't why wouldn't you go into coaching and when you ask them they're like well I, I watched my coaches and I saw that you're how often you're home or how often you're away from home the recruiting grind that's like every day all year the long hours you have to put in during the season like I don't want that I'm going to go be a color commentator because it's just an easier life and, and if you want to have a family and stuff like that those are factors here too so we'll, we'll see what James Ornidas wants to do with this long term this could also be hey I, I enjoy your brain. I'm, I'm, this is my Marcus Freeman impression. Uh, James, uh, you're a friend of mine, and I like your perspective on football. Come in and be an, an analyst here. Whether it leads to that next step, we don't know that for sure yet. No,
1: but like the thing that you're saying about, oh, sometimes guys don't want to be coaches. What James is doing now at Notre Dame, he would have done at Ohio State. So like right, the idea right. of like, well, maybe he doesn't want to be a coach. He wants to do this. He does want to do this. And it, I, I, th- I think it could have happened at Ohio State, and it didn't. And it just happens to be. And again, it's one of those things that's like, hey, not every great former player is going to be a great coach. And it's like, but then there's like Brian Hartline and Marcus Freeman, who are his teammates at Ohio State, who are awesome coaches right now, who both, I think, in their own way are sort of like James is kind of like them. And so, no, it doesn't work out all the time. But there's two really good examples, like right in front of your faces of his era of dudes of that kind of football whatever approach attitude acumen that are doing it and um yeah i I, I mean i think it's very possible that he maybe someday he's a he's a coach at ohio state i think that's quite possible but um if the linebackers aren't great at ohio state still then this would just be like oh well i don't know
2: no
0: notre dame's linebackers are going to be better next year to start the season and everyone's going to be like, see, I told you we should have hired James or He had very minimal, minimal effort yeah. towards that. You got yeah. to remember their head coach is also a former linebacker and linebackers coach. That is yeah. why their linebackers are good.
1: Yeah. And again, he's not going to be the linebackers coach. So like it's 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 interesting. But I do think there's enough um, people who Nathan, as you are saying, who's sort of like that era was a particular era of Ohio state football. And I do think there are some particular attachments to some particular people there. And when you see heartline success, I understand why people are kind of thinking that way, at least a tiny bit. All right. We'll take a quick break on Buckeye talk. We'll come back. We'll talk about what's up with Jim Harbaugh and then sort of what's up with Ryan day next on Buckeye talk. All right. Doug, Nathan, Stephen back again, the text and the off season kind of a different animal, but I mean, if you go to the zoo, there's all kinds of good animals. So like, during the season, our texts are kind of like a giraffe. And then in the off season, our texts might be more like a, a penguin or a flamingo or a manatee. Um, Columbus Zoo, man. Whew. Such a good zoo. I love the rhinos. What's your favorite zoo animal, Nathan?
2: You know, big cats. Mm, I like big the cats. big cats, the the lions, the tigers. I, I the, the monkeys are fun when they we, we saw one time at the Indianapolis Zoo. We encountered like the chimpanzees having like some sort of gang war. And just like uh, attacking each other. That was kind of fun. But uh, generally the big cats.
1: I like it when monkeys fight. Fuck I talk. That's what Nathan Bear just said. Steven, you have a favorite zoo animal?
0: Definitely primates. Because they're always doing something interesting. Even the gorillas. They're going to interact with you. Even if it feels like for two seconds. They're going to come through the glass. And take your life away from you.
1: It is. The primates freak me out a little bit. Because sometimes like, if you get it right with the primate. It's like, are we the same right now? Are we like having a mind mm-hmm. meld? And then it's like. Why do we have you in an enclosure? Because I'm not so sure you're not as smart as I am. Maybe I should be in there. So a rhino, a rhino just takes like a big dump. That's one of the big exciting things a rhino does. It's like, oh my God, did you just see what that rhino did? I don't have the same kind of guilt associated when you're hanging out with the primates and they feel real. All right, Jim Harbaugh reportedly, Bruce Feldman from The Athletic reported it, said from both sides, both the NFL side, the Michigan side, it seems like Jim Harbaugh might be interested in the NFL. We've heard that a million times. I do think it's interesting, Nathan, it made made a big deal, uh, appropriately so, that like Jim Harbaugh took a pay cut for this year um, and then they have the best Jim Harbaugh season. And part of me thinks this is just posturing to redo his deal. But I guess I would also possibly buy the idea of He got Michigan to a much better place than it was when he took over. He was never going to leave without an Ohio state win. He got the win. He dropped the third base thing. And then like before Ohio state can like get super mad and try to take it out on him next year, he's going to leave like, like leave on top, right? Like, like a version of that, right. Which people do all the time because, and, and then the last part of that is not that anyone necessarily was surprised by it, but. This was a very good Michigan team. They have some young five stars who are going to get better. Michigan will probably start recruiting even better off of this. But if then you do all this, you have the best season you can imagine, and then you get to Georgia, and it's like, oh, that. Well, we're never going to beat that. What's the point? Why would I bang? Like, I, It's not going to get any better than this. That you got both sides of that, Nathan. As good as you can get in your conference and then your rivalry and then a reality check in the playoff, there is some part of this that would make sense to me of like Harbaugh out.
2: Yeah, I think there. And, and then when you factor in the pay cut last year. So not only is there sort of a negotiating tactic here to have something like this leak out, but you this might be a chance for you to get something much more lucrative than what Michigan is willing to offer you. So you got to factor that into the motivations here, too. That NFL team might be willing to to throw a little bit more at him, especially a uh, franchise like the Raiders who just had their own coaching turmoil this year and things are really up in the air for them. And they're kind of a loose cannon franchise to begin yeah. with. I think like they, they've made some questionable decisions. So maybe this could be the next one.
0: Some questionable
2: decisions. But you
1: think, you think hiring Jim Harbaugh on the NFL will be a questionable decision. That guy won huge in the NFL.
2: He did win huge in the NFL, but he didn't exactly finish on in a, a great spot in the NFL. And I think that one of the things that maybe didn't always work with him in the NFL was just him, like just his personality and his, his Harbaughness. And we'd have to see how that would translate to, to that kind of athlete again. I don't know.
1: You don't think he'd be successful in the NFL?
0: He got to a Super Bowl, didn't he?
1: I, here's what I think. I think Jim Harbaugh after a while is a lot to take. And I think that fits the college model because you play for him for three or four years and you come in and he's like kind of a different dude and he's enthusiastic and he has a certain way of doing things. But then after a while, it might grind on you. So it fits college in the NFL. My God, he won 13 and three, 4, and one, 12 and four and eight and eight. And then like after four years, the millionaires were kind of like, I'm good. But go make a four or five year run with your NFL team and then move on from that. Like, I do think, I don't know that he's going to go be in the NFL for like 15 years with the same team and retire, but I do think the guy knows how to coach football. Now the league, I think the game has evolved. The league has evolved with the style of play. If he's going to be sort of the tight end, heavy kind of running game that he's kind of won with. And that's what he got back to at Michigan this year. That's why they won. But he also was creative with Colin Kaepernick and found a way to win with that, you know, a, not just that um, with a quarterback who can throw the ball down the field and also can run. Like he, he's a pretty good football coach. I just, Stephen, I, I, I could see him being um, just a guy that maybe would be, maybe he's more of a move on after a few years guy than a, I'm going to be Bo Beckler 2.0, especially now that he's had a success just in his coaching career. FYI. He was at San Diego, again, not San Diego State, but San Diego for three years as a head coach. Then he was at Stanford for four years. Then he was with the Niners for four years. And now he's been at Michigan for seven years. And I think it's one of those things. It's actually like, I think, similar in the outcome but probably for different reasons than Urban Meyer, that if you would have said seven years on Urban Meyer at Ohio State when he got here, over or under, I think that might have been like a good line. That might have been the over-under. If you said seven years on Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, over or under, which is where they are now, I mean like might have been like, that's a that's a pretty good number. So I don't know, Stephen, what do you think about this?
0: I, I get it. Um, I also think this is the first place he's been in his coaching tenure – that is more of a destination place just because he did play quarterback here for Bo while even with urban. So yeah, you're from here, but it's, you didn't play at Ohio state. It's, it's not, it's not, it's kind of apples to oranges in a way, even though that he is an Ohio native. So I could see this more being, I would love, I'm just going to lean more, this is a dude who got a pay cut last year because things were going in the wrong direction. And now he just beat Ohio state and made the playoff. So yeah, I'm going to do everything in my power to get some of that money back. But I, I do understand if there's probably a small percentage of maybe this is the best it's going to get at Michigan. So get out while you're hot in it. Cause then people, if he leaves now people are going to remember him in a whole different light, regardless of how the first couple of years went, where he couldn't beat, beat Ohio state and couldn't win the big game. It doesn't matter because you, know, you just upset an Ohio State team that had one of the best offenses in the country and really in the past four or five years here. And then, as you said, the comment he made after the game. But I just think it's more him gesturing to try to get – and just, just being a smart businessman here.
1: I do think if he left, I think they could hang a mission accomplished banner at his goodbye news conference. I really think they could because I don't know that when he got here, the mission was a national title. The Michigan was like rebuild Michigan football. And he asked, I mean, the person who would take over for him, it would be in such a better spot than when he took over. And I do think sometimes when you are a person, and I like these kind of hires, again, we see them a lot with guys who sort of go back home, whether it's to the alma mater or the team they grew up rooting for, and they go back when that program is struggling and they're like, I'm going to help fix it. And fixing it doesn't mean winning at all. Fixing it means I'm going to leave it better than what I got here. And he's undoubtedly done that. Um, the weird thing, Nathan, is if he would go, we're so far past sort of, we're so far into the coaching cycle that I guess Matt Campbell is still out there. Matt Campbell, I think, felt like he finished second for a bunch of jobs. Like Luke Fickle is like the best name out there probably who didn't move, but everybody thinks that like Luke would not take Michigan. I, I don't know exactly where they would go. I, I will say this. I've thought about this. And I wonder about this. Could this be, if he left, would it, could it be a transition like Urban Meyer to Ryan Day? And could it be Josh Gaddis? The Josh Gaddis interviewed for the Virginia job, job, I think by reports, he would probably finish second to Tony Elliott there. Won the Broyles Award this year as the best assistant uh, in the country has been the coordinator there for several years, I think is ready for that next step. And I I don't, I don't think it would be very different than what Ohio state did with Ryan day. It's like, if you think you've got a guy in the building, do you just say, okay, here we go. And that's a guy, that guy, you know, he said the toughness stuff this offseason yeah. that would really keep there would be, I think, no letdown in the rivalry. There would be no letdown, at least from the High State perspective. But like, man, we want to we want to beat those guys if Josh Gaddis would took over. If if that's how this would wind up, Nathan, that would really intrigue. me.
2: Yeah, you'd be talking about a guy who, you know, because if you hire somebody from the outside, their place in the rivalry has to kind of start from ground zero, like from from scratch. They have no attachment. You hire Matt Campbell in, and what does he care about Ohio State and Michigan? Like it's he, he has to learn to care about it. But it's it's coming from it, it has to happen organically, and it can take some time. Whereas with Josh Gaddis, absolutely, the day that that news conference happens, he's going to get asked about the toughness questions about Ohio State, probably, and um, why that's something that they're going to have to try to live up to now. Although he really was just talking about that one game, that one team, that one time. But absolutely, it would it would be a yeah, you, you would start um, with some real juice in the rivalry, which would be almost that would be almost a good thing, I think, for for everyone for and for Ohio State, too, or just college football in general, that you get to hire someone who sort of carries forward this reignited rivalry as opposed to having to, you know, try to stoke it again here in a couple of years.
1: That would be I, interesting.
0: Gaddis is 37 and Day's 42. So, and, well, De- I mean, Gaddis is
1: about, Gaddis is going to turn 38 in like 10 days. Yeah. And Day was 39 when he took over. So, um, like, it's not too early to jump on that, Stephen, right? It's not, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that, I think Josh Gaddis would be, would have the resume and the experience and the success and the age to be a, a very, very reasonable candidate at the mm-hmm. very least, and especially in a world where, I don't know, maybe somebody's smart. Matt Campbell's sitting there. We've talked about Matt Campbell as a, as a Michigan candidate in the past. There's a scooch bit of luster maybe off of him the way Iowa State season went, but he still built Iowa State out from nothing. So um, I, I don't know, Stephen, could you, could you imagine? Do you think that would be possible if Harbaugh left?
0: Yeah, to just kind of keep this juice going. In the right direction, um, yeah, I can see it, and it's, and it's. I mean, Josh Gattis was a defensive player who's an offensive coordinator, which is kind of weird to me. It's, you would think that he would, you know, stick with his side of the ball, but it is what it is. It's like, yes, this guy's been doing this. He read he he he's the guy calling the plays for the offense that beat Ohio State, just like Ryan Day was the guy calling the plays for the offense that murdered Michigan for two years. Yes, I could see that. If if Jim Harbaugh does move on, then if you're not going to go with an outside hire, I could understand why they would go with Josh Gaddis and he'd just be their Ryan Day. Steven, who is Michigan's head coach next year? <laughs> I still think it's Jim Harbaugh. But you you also throw in the caveat with uh, if if Josh Gaddis is their Ryan Day, they've already got the five-star quarterback on the roster. Yeah. Nathan, who's Michigan's, uh, Michigan's
1: head coach next year?
2: I think it's uh, a more richly rewarded Jim Harbaugh. Okay. I'm not going to answer because I don't know. I think it's possible he goes. I'll say. What? <laughs> what? I know. Sometimes what? I'm not in
1: the mood. I, I, I'm at the end. I mean, we're all at the end of what football season. <laughs> we're we're all at the end. We're all at the end of football season. And um, you get a little loopy at the end of football season from travel, from not having a bunch of days off, um, from mostly those two things. Uh, But I'm like juiced. I've been writing about Baker Mayfield and having opinions about Baker Mayfield like sucks the life out of you. Not in a bad way. It's just like, it's like drains your battery. So like, I'm kind of out of opinions. So it's like, it's Jim Harbaugh. It's like, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to write. I don't know. But you can say, I don't know much more. It's like, if I wrote a column for Thursday, that was like, will Jim Harbaugh be Michigan's head coach next year? I don't know. Not sure there's a lot of juice to that. Not sure that gets on the site, but I'm allowed to say I don't know here. I'll say it's Josh Gattis. I think this could be real. I think timing. I think ready for something new. I think getting your program, realizing this is probably the peak. Now, it's just can you extend the peak? But I don't know that Michigan football can go up from here. Because the only – Nathan, they were the two seed in the playoff. And they beat Ohio State. I mean, the, the only up, I mean, I guess is there's getting to the national title game, and then losing, and then there's winning the national title. That there's not a ton more of 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 where to go from here. And I do think, I think Harbaugh. I was gonna say like whether you like him or not. I know most people listening to this probably don't like him. He goes hard. I think right that I do think like he. I think he's he's not. I think on cruise control through a football season or through a recruiting cycle, I, like again, he's the guy out there, like warming up with the quarterbacks before a game. Not that anybody does go, you know, I'm not saying that's Ryan Day goes hard and Nick Saban goes hard. I get it, but I do think he goes hard and um, I, could, I could actually envision him being ready for something different. But is that fair to say that this is as high as Michigan can get and now they're just trying to extend it?
2: I've never thought that this is as high as Michigan could get Um, that. I think that they should be able to, if you can get to the playoff and be the two seed, you can win a playoff game. I don't think it's impossible for them to win a playoff game. And there are other years where the the right combination of things, it's it's just a matter of having to consistently get back there. So I guess what, if you're asking like, do you think Michigan, this is their only chance to be in playoff contention for X number of years. And again, all of the, all of the, when you say never the context is about to change when we go from four teams to more than four teams. True. True.
0: That's even, I think
2: that's a big factor too.
0: You're right. But still, I mean, it's going to get harder just because Penn state's got a five-star quarterback coming in and drew Aller, Ohio state's Ohio state. Um, it's it's and they're all three of those teams are in the same division so if we're living in a world where Ohio State's probably just going to claim one of those spots anyway and it's coming down to which one of between Michigan and Penn State doesn't go nine and three that's still it's not it's, it's not a lock that Michigan's going to be in that 12 team playoff when we eventually get there just because the you know Penn State does exist and you have to take into account you know you know, the Pac-12 is getting a little bit better now that. USC's gotten itself together. Texas is getting itself together, and people still are in love with the SEC. So it's it's still Michigan's still kind of be in this spot where it's going to be hard for them to make the playoff.
2: I, I do think it's not that a lot that anybody's going to be in the 12 team playoff though. I think the year that, that in 2019 Alabama wouldn't have made a 12 team playoff. Like it's 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 not a lock that anybody's going to be in the 12-team playoff. Well,
1: I mean, that was like a one-year blip. For,
2: I mean, they're, they're certain, yeah.
1: I mean, Ohio State and Alabama are a much better position to be in the playoff consistently, but Michigan could have Understood. lower dips. Yeah. Here, here's my point, though, is that I do think there is a reasonable comparison between Ohio State and, and Michigan and Alabama and Ohio State. And I think if you look at Ohio State in 2014, they play Bama, they jump up, and they get them and they win, and then it's like, okay, here we go. And then, like, it has been like a B for Ohio State to try to stay with Bama, right? That they've, right, they're they're right, they're there, but they're definitely not as good. And they haven't won another title since then while Bama keeps rolling through them. And they got back there last year, and then when they got to the national championship, it was like, okay, it's pretty clear again, there's a gap between these two teams. And so if you think about, Alabama to Ohio state, the idea of like, what if Urban Meyer just been like, all right, beat Bama did my thing. I'm out. Right. It is a, it is a tough nut to try to do that again and again and again and again. And Ohio state's been pretty successful in the effort, even though they're clearly not as good as Bama Michigan trying to be at Ohio state's level. It's like, all right, we got him. It's like, all right, get him again, get him again. Try to get to back to 50-50. Well, at least you got to win three out of every 10. Like It's, it's going to be a grind. I think it can be done, and my guess would be it will be done if Harbaugh stays. But they will not be a team that wins one out of 15 years anymore. I, th- I think they can get closer to that. But, man, they're going to have to bust their butts to do it. You can't take an, a day off. You can't take a minute off in trying, in trying to what? To match what you just did. Like Ohio State's trying to get back to the point so they can get in the playoff to beat Bama, which they did once. And they won a national title. And now they're just trying to do it again. It's the same thing everybody says. It's harder to stay on top than to get on top, right? The climb is easier than when you're up on the plateau, making sure you don't fall down. So that just goes to say, like, I, I just, I could see it. it. Probably you guys are probably right. It's just probably a public negotiating ploy. Let's make sure we leak it both ways. Harbaugh's interested in the Raiders. And then a salary comes back around. But I also think this, this is possibly a reasonable line in the sand for him. Okay. I want to talk about Ryan Day. Not in NFL context, but in a coaching contract context. Next, to finish it up on Buckeye Talk. All right. This pile dropping Wednesday for you. Also, a new college football survivor show on Wednesday where Shahan Haraja and I broke down Alabama-Georgia. Gave our picks for Alabama, Georgia, and on our Tuesday show there, which is only for Apple Podcast subscribers, you can subscribe for 2 dollars a month and get all the Tuesday shows for the College Football Survivor Show. We talked about the idea of an all-SEC championship game. Is that good? Is that bad? Is it just the way it is? And then I issued a challenge to Nick Saban to leave Alabama immediately after this game and go back and be the coach at West Virginia and see if he can be the national championship coach at West Virginia in the next five years. And we said, we play a game of could Saban win a a national championship in five years if he came to your school tomorrow? And how many, we didn't actually play it. I think we're going to play it on that show in the off season. How many schools would the answer be? Yes. If Saban showed up tomorrow, would he win a national championship for the next five years? Is that, eight schools is it 20 is it 60 kind of makes me think at least all right Nathan you found a list of going into 2022 you know contract status guys got new deals guys are going to be getting new deals sort of who the most highly paid dudes are Brian Kelly just got a lot of money to go to LSU Um, Mel Tucker got a big raise to stay at Michigan State where do we think Ryan Day might fit in in head coaching salary as it stands right now
2: so this was a list put together by Steve Berkowitz from USA Today. He was a guy I got to know a little bit when I worked in that uh, network. And he, if for people who know every year that, that, that those salary databases get put out, that's Steve Berkowitz. This is what he does year round. He's on Twitter tracking whenever somebody wins a game and it's like, Oh, uh, so-and-so gets a bonus for winning his eighth game of the year, or whatever. That's Steve Berkowitz tracks all that down to the dollar. So, his list for 2022, which isn't like the official database they put out. This is just in an article he wrote. But Saban at $9.9 million, Brian Kelly and Mel Tucker now both at $9.5 million, Jimbo Fisher, $9 million, James Franklin and Dabo Swinney, $8.5 million. And then by what we were given with, with Ryan Day's contract as it pertains to, and this is from the extension he signed in February 2020, he is due $7.6 million in 2022 so almost a full million below James Franklin and Dabo Swinney and quite a bit below Mel
1: Tucker 2 million below Mel Tucker so the Tucker contract is the issue here i think and the marketplace sometimes i got to make sure people I, I this is not a political show i want to make sure i don't sound like an anti-capitalist <laughs> like i think every head coach should make the same amount of money they should make and 75 cents an hour. And that's enough. I get it. I get it. The marketplace matters, but the marketplace is full of outliers, which then resets the marketplace. And I think that is what drives the explosion of coaching salaries. And it does bother me. We have not talked any more about the Marcus Williamson Twitter stuff with some of the other, uh, former Ohio state players chiming in on that. Um, I think we posted something about it. I think it's more interesting to write about than talk about. Cause I think we can talk ourselves in circles. It is not at all to be dismissive of what Marcus Williamson has expressed. And I think it has been an interesting public debate among various former Ohio state players about this. Again, there are some specifics about Marcus Williamson's experience as an Ohio state player. And then there are some generalities about the student athlete experience right now, but Sometimes what drives part of that conversation is not only do you know the head coaches are paid and they should be paid; it's their job, but like it's exorbitant and it just throws everything off. And so, Nathan, I do think in a world where it's like I understand why Michigan State paid Mel Tucker that much, because I think Mel Tucker is worth that much to Michigan State. Because if they didn't pay him that much, I think maybe LSU was going to pay him that much. And then Michigan State, which sort of had a weird coaching search when it landed Mel Tucker, that like they went to Mel. I think they like went to Luke Fickle. Luke said no. I think they went to Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker said no. They went through a bunch of other people and then went back to Mel Tucker and just said like, please come and threw a bunch of money at him. And then he came. And I think it was a good move for Mel, even though he left Colorado after one year. But now his success, if they had to go through that again, who knows where they would end up? So Michigan State has to overpay. LSU, in its mind, I think less in reality, but in its mind, has to overpay to get Brian Kelly there. And I think you can rationalize in your own way those specific instances, Nathan. But the end result is Mel Tucker making $2 million more than Ryan Day. And Ryan Day's team beat Mel Tucker's team by 40 this year. And then it's like, well, what are we doing? And it's like, well, actually, what we're doing is having very different circumstances but then you read a list like that, and it's like, what well, it doesn't make any sense? So I do think uh, my guess is Ryan Day <laughs> knows what Mel Tucker makes and thinks, well, Mel Tucker makes that. I should probably make more. Same thing with James Franklin now making more than Ryan Day. My very strong guess perhaps educated guess is that something would be coming here this offseason with the ryan day renegotiation and i don't know nathan like what the answer is because i think ryan day it's fair for him to look at that list and say what's up although there is a reasonable complicated explanation of why how do you say this i'm not saying that ryan day is worth less to ohio state than mel tucker is to michigan state but it's a different situation so it doesn't have to be apples to apples, but I know why Ryan Day would see it that way, and I'm sure Ohio State's going to have to see it that way too. Do you imagine we see a Ryan Day renegotiated salary this offseason?
2: Yeah, I think there's going to have to be something just because those numbers don't really make sense. Although then you're obviously in a situation where, well, like, how much more money does Ryan Day deserve than Dabo Sweeney, who's won multiple national championships? Like, And, and, and Ryan Day is also coming off the – worst of his three seasons as Ohio state's head coach. So how does that complicate this picture at all? Even though it was still a season better than James Franklin had to get his $8.5 million and better than Mel Tucker had to get his 9.5 million. So really, I think achievement is almost like beside the point. It's almost just about appearances and, and keeping yourself at a certain level. And if Ohio state sort of believes that it is at, you know, that it, I would imagine that you're gonna see him approach he's gotta be up in that Kelly or Tucker range, doesn't he? Like I don't know how I don't know how you how you or or at least has to be on a path to get there in the short term. Because right now there's a pretty big gap. The way his contract was written, uh the seven point six million for twenty twenty two, and then it said compensation package increases beyond February first, twenty twenty three, so basically beyond this next season will be determined by the AD and approved by the board of trustees. So it's kind of open-ended anyway, what he's supposed to make in terms of raises beyond this year. So even if there's something where they kept his 2022 compensation static, would they put something more rigid in place that gives him raises on in, in the future?
1: Yeah, I do think it's like if, if Kelly and Tucker, for instance, are basically making close to 10, right? I don't know that Ryan Day would have to make 10 next year but I would imagine he will sign a contract that gets him to 10 per year at some point in the contract. You know what I mean? It's like, if he signs, what, what is he
2: supposed yeah. to make this year under his current deal? 7.6 by my. So like eight and
0: a half, nine in that range would probably, I, I could see him signing a
1: deal. That's like eight and a half for 2022 nine and a half for 2023 and 10 and a half for 2024 or something. You know what I mean? That like then the average, the average of that is like 9.375 million or something that I, I just, I, I could envision something like that. And I just don't know, like it, uh, I get it, but it also does. It is a little nuts, right? I mean, where's the cap? There's no cap right. and that's problematic and frustrating and it's like one of those things where if you just whacked every head coaching salary in half, I mean, they also would still be very well compensated, but then, and then you could still point to well, where do I rank on the list? And what are my credentials ranked to other guys on the list? I don't know that any, I don't know that any coach thinks to himself, I have to make $9 million a year. But if you show them somebody else who's making $9 million a year, who doesn't seem to be as good of a coach as them, or has at least at the very least, has not won as many games or achieved as many things, then they do want to make 9 million dollars a year. And it's hard to fault them for that. Um, I don't know. It's, it's hard. Is it, is it hypocritical Steven to be, to say, you know what? This is sort of an, not, not even, this is an unfair system to the players. They do the work. They put their bodies and brains on the line. Of course, the adults are going to get paid and paid handsomely, but, the players have to be compensated, but then also be like, oh well, coaches make $10 million a year. What are you gonna do? It's just the marketplace. Can both those things be true? Or does one are you talking? Are you just giving lip service to the player argument if you're okay with $10 million a year head coaches?
0: I mean, if we want to have a discussion about should coaches be making, you know, millions and millions of dollars while players are basically making nothing from the school standpoint, then that's like, then no, literally just cut all these coaches' salaries in half and pay these players. It's a very simple, you know, thing we can do here or take some of the other money that college football makes for all these universities. And you try to spread out to all these other different sports and give it to the players. There's a million different ways we can have this conversation, but since that's not the world we live in, then yes, Ohio state has to keep up with the schools. It's trying to compete with for national championships and make sure it's head coach. And then the assistant, the necessary assistant coaches are making the money they need to make. And it is one of those things where it's like, well, if you actually did
1: it by value, then Saban would make 25 million a year and the next best person would make 10. Because mm-hmm. Nick Saban could go to Rutgers
0: and no, maybe, no. maybe
1: win a national title in five years. Yeah, I don't know. About Why Rutgers. not? Why not?
0: You don't think he I could think
1: recruit to Rutgers?
0: I think it he was, could win a. I think I don't think he would win a national championship in five years. I think he could win. I think he can win two Big Ten championships in five five years if you take him to Rutgers.
1: The the only question is, would how much of what he's established at Alabama would follow him wherever he goes? Right. Because then, I mean, it's like, why does Alabama Mm -hmm. recruit the best players? Is it because of their facilities? No. I mean, their facilities are obviously very good, but it's because of Nick Saban and the people he brings in around him. So, like, I think that travels. Right. They'd have to I think they'd have to improve their bubble or whatever they practice in, in at Rutgers. That's not what this podcast is. But I, that's just it's just the point of like when a guy's reached that level. It's like John Wooden won all those titles see, like Could John Wooden have won those titles at Purdue, Nathan? Would he have 11 titles in 13 years at Purdue? I don't know. Maybe
0: once he's he John a Wooden. Guy, actually.
1: No, I know. that's why. I, so anyway, I don't know.
0: I, I do think the, the Alabama environment has allowed him to maximize that at a level that I don't know follows. I think he wins. I just don't know if he maximizes it to this extent at other places.
1: So, what do he win six? I said it's like what he win six titles. Maybe not. I Think it would win? It's like Urban won at everywhere he went. Saban just hasn't. I mean, Saban won at Michigan. Anyway, they're great. So
2: it's, with five years inclusive, though, is man is that tough? Because you're at some point you get on you get start talking about team. Like, how many players does Rutgers have that would play on a national championship team? That could play for Alabama or Georgia. No, I
1: know, money. but. Oh, no, they're, they're,
0: they're portaling to, it up. They're, yeah, they're transfer portaling it up. That's not the question, up.
1: though. But don't you think that Saban. That is Saban, the question. Don't you think Saban would have a top five recruiting class his first full year at Rutgers? No. <laughs> you say no. No. Okay, I think he would. And then it's like, then you're off and running. Oh, wait. Yeah, no, his first full year. Yeah, I think he would have. And then it's like I he just he one. So it's like by year three he's got up most of his own guys in there. By year four it's all his yeah. own guys. And then by year five you're trying to repeat. <laughs> I just think he's he might be that rare. And again, it's one of those things. Well, he could he have done that when he came out of the NFL? Well, it wasn't quite in then. So, but now that he's established what this is, I think it would travel. Okay, uh, we are going to come back with the recruiting podcast later this week, and then we'll come up with something to dive in. This remains. I don't know if you guys notice it when you listen to it on your pod. We have seasons. On Buckeye Talk. It's a season seven of Buckeye Talk. And I change the season when the topic of conversation starts to be about the new season. So it will change to season eight. I used to do it like after, I think, like signing day in February. I don't know if that's still the line in the sand or not, but like once our podcasts really start being like, what's the projected depth chart? I think sometimes that's the best first episode of the new season. What's the projected depth chart for next year? So I don't know when we're going to start doing that stuff. I would like to give out maybe some kind, of, I don't think we've ever done this to this degree, some kind of like Buckeye talk awards or something. Some of them would be obvious, but like player of the, the year. Buc-ies. I need to, yeah, the Buckeys. I, I try to think of the talkie, like uh, maybe it would be, I'm trying to think like what would be more about Buckeye talk than just Buckeye, but maybe it'd be something weird that we say, um, but like if we did like offensive and defensive player of the year, offensive and defensive newcomer, like play of comeback player of the year, play of the year, game of the year. I don't know. I could see that kind of being fun. Each of us having a vote, the texters having a vote on it, coming up with the nominees for each of them. I could see us doing something like that in the coming weeks. I could see us doing, we're definitely going to do state of the program, but stuff, but that's going to wait until after sort of these coaching changes shake out. Um and I would, I just would like to wrap up the season uh, a little more than we have so far. So it remains season seven for now. It'll flip to season eight soon enough. And Nathan, as far as we know, no specific timing yet on when we may hear from Jim Knowles, the new defensive coordinator. When we may know more about the shape of this coaching staff. We that's coming. We just don't know when, right?
2: Yeah, no, uh, I, I w- you will. Obviously, the best way to know is get the text 614-350-3315. You'll know within uh, seconds of us knowing.
1: OK, sounds like a plan for now. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye Talk.